we want to go and talk to them about value. Now, now we know that they're a big studio, they have multiple users, they probably have a project. We want to go to them and talk to them things relevant that we can do better for them. Welcome to Build, the podcast from OpenView. I'm your host, Blake Bartlett, and the show features conversations with software founders, leaders, and investors. Each episode unpacks a new key insight on how to build your company and navigate the fast-changing world of software startups. I'm super excited about today's conversation because I'm chatting with Jesus Rakenna, who is a true PLG and growth marketing legend. Jesus is currently the VP of Growth Marketing at Figma and has held similar PLG leadership roles at many other companies, including Algolia and Unity. During his four years at Unity, Jesus was tasked with achieving some very hefty growth targets by converting a large percentage of the 1 million plus monthly active users on Unity's platform. Only one small problem. Unity had very little visibility into who these 1 million users were and what they were doing on the platform. And without that intel, it's pretty hard to develop a strategy to drive more conversion to paid. As the growth leader at Unity, Jesus built the PLG data and analytics stack that gave the company the needed visibility into this user base, which allowed it to achieve its conversion goals and drive over $40 million in annual recurring revenue from this initiative alone. Jesus tells us his firsthand account of this journey and shares his product analytics pro tips with us today on Build. So let's dive right in with Jesus Rakenna. Well, Jesus, thank you so much for joining us here on the Build Podcast. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me, Blake. Really excited to be here with you today. So today we're talking about PLG data and analytics and specifically talking about your experience and your journey implementing exactly that when you're at Unity. And before we get into some of the specifics and details of the ins and outs of PLG data and analytics, maybe let's start with just a little bit of the context of Unity, the time that you were there, some of the dynamics facing the company uh, back then. Yeah, that was a really interesting story. So I joined Unity 2016. For those who don't know Unity much, it's a game engine. I'm studying the 2D, 3D game space and has expanded dramatically into some other industrial um, verticals like automotive and manufacturing and uh, engineering and not with VR and AR. And when I joined Unity, which is primarily what we're doing gaming, one of the key things that we wanted to do is launch a subscription business. So I joined in 2016, as I mentioned, and the goal was like, hey, how do we get all these perpetual license holders that they're working with uh, old Unity version in perpetuity to get them into a new subscription business that we have like new features, um, ongoing product refreshes, and all that good stuff. And when I joined, we had a bit of a really interesting situation. So I came, and we had already close to a million active users a month. And those active users were, at least that we knew, were logging in a couple of times a week. We knew a bit about them. But one of the biggest things that I, when I started, is like, well, this is our biggest opportunity. How do we get to know more about these people, right? Like, who are they? What are they doing? And um, that to me was like the path to maybe become smarter and, and do this in a smart way where leveraging resources and in the, in the short period of time that we wanted to do that. Right? So it sounds like it's it's kind of a, the first thing you realized was one, we have a huge opportunity here of sort of a, a base of users, a base of customers getting value out of it. Many of them paying, but paying on a perpetual license basis. 
And again, we have a million plus users. There's got to be opportunities for a subscription and for you know adding value to, to all these folks and capturing some of the value that we're creating for them. However, where do we begin? A million users is a lot of people. So there was, it sounds like there was kind of, uh, you were lacking visibility in some ways. That's right. And we were lacking visibility on two sides. Like, who are these people? So even back then, we knew that a portion of them, probably they weren't even um, game studios. And then the second one is, what kind of things were they doing with the product? So we had some sort of signals on, logins and, and whatnot, but very basic. So we, we had a name, a domain, and they were logging in, but that was it. So the, one of the first things that I, I did immediately when I started having connection with these great tools is like, hey, well, let's just start enriching who we might have a domain for or, or an inferred domain from a reverse IP or whatnot, and uh, trying to understand firmographically who these people were. Right? That was an interesting exercise. We, we used tools like you know, Clearbit, Zoom Info, but then, because of the gaming space, there was a lot of incognito Gmails and classic like PLG issue where a lot of the people like prototyping or hidden somewhere behind a Gmail or whatnot, right? Especially developers that have been working with them for a while, they, they don't want to tell you who they are whatsoever. So we did start enriching a bit further the data. And the first thing that we realized was like, hey, well, there is a good portion of these users that they actually belong to really large either studios or a studio with funding or even non-gaming studios. We realized that there was around 30% of them were actually non-gaming. They were either media agencies tapping into VR, AR early days, industrial applications. We had a lot of stuff in there. So that was really, really, really fun. Like, well, now we know that there's a portion that they are applicable to... Well, at that point in time, we had a free version. and we discovered there is, I think there was around 60 to 80,000 studios that they were violating our EULA in terms of service. So they were using incorrectly the free product. So that was the first probably remark. Like now we know who they are. Right? So you got a lot of visibility. So a number of the questions, first one is, all right, there's a million users here. Who are they? You enrich some of the data, um, like you mentioned, and you figure out who are these individuals, who are the people, but then also, like you mentioned, where do they work? Are they working as you know, independent freelancers just kind of hacking something together? Do they work at a studio? If they work at a studio, how big of a studio might this be? Or maybe they don't work at a gaming studio. You know, you mentioned the, the sort of other use cases there. So you kind of get a picture of, all right, who, who are these folks? You know, where are they working? And then you start to get into, okay, well, what are they doing in the product? What does their usage look like? And it sounds like the first thing you realized um, was that there was a huge untapped opportunity or uh, in terms of of monetization, there was you mentioned sixty thousand plus that weren't paying or that were uh, in violation <laughs> in a sense of of the the initial terms. So that was probably where you initially focused on. Let's go convert those folks. Let's see if there's a subscription opportunity in in that subsegment of the base. Is that right? Absolutely. So while we were doing the classic, you know, everyone active sending them emails and uh, doing all sort of like growth marketing tactics to get them into a subscription, and we were moving the needle. I think we we're moving. At that point, we were already like 15, 20% of those users were already converted to a subscription business. So that was growing fast. We saw that opportunity and we thought, whoa, we need to tap into this. And I'll tell you a, fun, a funny story. I don't know you know how much you would like me to remember this, but we started playing a good cop, bad cop sort of campaign, which is uh, we will send in a letter and say, hey, actually, our legal team has noted that you might be using this incorrectly. Uh, here's a path for you to convert. 
Um, and at that time, to do that, and we were trying to convert them online, most of this was like assisted self-serve pretty much, right? We, we built a team called the hybrid team, which was literally an inside sales team. I couldn't call it sales because I was not part of sales, so they wouldn't like me doing that. So to experiment and, and do the initial things, we, we got a person to do more email chat and trying to convert them. And that thing blew up like on Twitter and some developers didn't like that. I was like, what do you mean? Like, why are you coming to me like this? So it blew up on Twitter in, in not a good way. <laughs> there was some blowback. In, in a bad way, exactly. We, we had some good learnings there. And, um, you know, the, that was like a, the second aha moment. So the first aha moment was like, well, there's a bunch of potential here in revenue, and we quantify that in the millions. And then the, the second aha moment was like, we need to do this better. This can't just be like telling people, hey, you, you're in the wrong tier, go and convert. So that's when we started thinking, well, how, how can we do this better? Like, and the path was like, let's start getting some, there was two areas that we wanted to tap into. One is, let's to understand like how many users they have in our product and how many users they have that they're not even here. So we started doing two things. One, we got a crawler and we started having to enrich how many the, um, developers and artists that a studio might have in total. So that's kind of like the... That's almost like the the next level of visibility of who these users are and what studios or where they might work. Step one is, you know, just show me the basics. But then step two is it almost sounds a little bit like, what is our penetration into the opportunity here? You know, if there are two, two developers from a particular studio, but through some of this crawling work and some of the things you're, you're doing, if you realize that there's 20 developers at that studio, well, you know, there's a lot more to go get. And so you can kind of start to identify where is their untapped potential through some of that that intelligence? Exactly, and we okay. became we became smarter in understanding who truly was not just violating the terms of service, but had an we had an opportunity to expand, right, and say, "Were well, you using it?" Um, and then when we started putting that data together, and um, in the meantime, I was hiring data scientists to start putting this data together because you know we have to match users at an IP level, at an org level, at an app, at a, at a project level. So I have data scientists doing that, and then I have some data engineers trying to put that stuff together. And so we started hiring people to do that job. And while we were doing that, then the next thing we realized, like, well, we want to know if we want to go and talk to them about value. Now, now we know that they're a big studio. They have multiple users. They probably have a project. We want to go to them and talk to them things relevant that we can do better for them. And at that point in time, like the this experiment that we were doing on the uh, hybrid inside sales, sending people to the online thing, it was already jumping up because we did some, you know, uh, hacking. We put intercom, we let them talk to us. So that was already in the millions of revenue driving. The next thing is that how can we enable this hybrid inside sales team to talk more personalized to these people? So we started thinking, well, why don't we start putting product telemetry into a place where they can see um, they can see probably the account information firmographics. So yeah, a company with X revenue, this is the number of users. Maybe this is the user that we found in. And by the way, all of this at the beginning was a lot of spreadsheets. And then the spreadsheet became a dashboard that we would put together for them. And all. So it was an evolution. But by no means was this a beautiful dashboard from the paper, right? There was, there was no magic button of just push this button. It'll tell you everything you need to know. It was uh, lots of different data sources. I have to imagine lots of messy data as well. 
lots of fuzzy matching, um, you know, the data science team and you know, a lot of manual effort to get this level of visibility, but ultimately sounds like it was going down the right direction. Yeah, a lot of learning. So we will, to your point, we will put a set of data together, we'll do an experiment with the InstaSales team, and then we'll come back and say, that's not accurate. Someone get back to me, this is wrong, this is wrong. So that whole journey took like 18 months. But again, we were learning. And I think the next thing we wanted to do was, the point I was trying to make is, we wanted to put product telemetry on basic stuff, like what kind of game are you building? Is it a console game? Is it a mobile game? Is it an AR, VR application? The second thing I wanted to know is like what sort of objects are you using in the with the product? Have you installed specific components in the in the project? Like any component on you know artists or some surface objects, whatever it is. And that information we wanted to give it to the InterSales team to start bucketing those things and create campaigns. So then we could go back to them with some value and say, well, based on what we see in the size of the studio and you know the type of game that you're building or whatnot. How can we go after you and give you a personalized you know, message to say, we're helping studios like yours to do X, Y, Z, and D. And by the way, I think this is a better tier for you, for your studio than being on the free version, right? So we were trying to do that combination of things. So it sounds like after getting this visibility um, and then also having tried some experiments in terms of driving conversion, driving subscription uptake, uh, what you started to realize was, all right, the orientation here, and this is pretty common in PLG, is to orient towards help, helping the customer, helping the users get to the next level, get more value. And in order to do that, as we've been talking about, you have to have the visibility. Where are they now in their project? Where are they now in their usage of our product? You know, Where are they in, in terms of usage across their organization? And all of that gives you a starting point and helps you understand where you can help them next? Where do they need to go? And so it helps develop that. Instead of, uh, you're breaking the rules, I'm going to force convert you. Or there's a huge opportunity here, let's go you know, pound at that opportunity with a ton of aggressive salespeople. It's reframing, again, and very popular, very common in PLG to think about it more from a customer success and helping the customer get to the next step and get more value sort of orientation. So I guess with that, what does that look like in real life? What does that look like in practice? What were some of the actions that you took based off of these insights and this desire to help? It, it was messy. We were, we were saying before, right, that didn't come. Um, we didn't know from the get-go, like, this is exactly what we're going to do when it came organically and it, it came messy. But at that time, when we started realizing that uh, there was two things happening. One is our subscription business was growing. And we didn't have a dedicated success team for the subscribers, right? So and at the same time, we wanted to also assist some of these free users. One of the, the things that we put in place was a success team. So we started having real human behind email and chat. We didn't do phone, email and chat. So we give them the chance. The onboarding emails will have a human behind. We actually hire engineers, like developers, to talk to developers. And they were in remote areas. Like we had some people in South America, North America, UK, to cover the glove. And the first thing that we did was started putting for the pay subscribers the success team, but we also started doing that for some of the free users, right? With potential. One of the things that we, we started doing is like, can we use that product telemetry to assist better the user? So two things came out of that. It came better personalized onboarding. So now we knew by the project that we're building and the persona and the studio, where do we put in what onboarding track, right? Both for free and from paying customer. And the second thing that came out of that was, well, now we can have better touches for those success advisors. So there, there was those three things happening in parallel. 
marketing became smarter, the success team became more personalized, and the sales team became more ready to talk to the right ones at the right time with sort of the right personalized message, right? Those three things happened pretty much in parallel. I think it was probably second, third quarter that I started. We started those three teams pretty much in parallel. But and that, well, that was an evolution from there, right? A lot of trial and error, like you mentioned. It was, it was messy, but we got into a place where, you know, we had our program set up. We had our right templates already set up with the product telemetry. We improved our open rates and reply rates. We put a MPS for every time they interact with us, and it was really positive. We use intercom everywhere, so we allow them to chat because they like chat better than calls. Or I mean, we learn heaps from that. Yeah. So it sounds like the the experience that you had going back to the beginning, when there was a little bit more of the the kind of forced conversion approach, and that led to some Twitter blowback. This new approach of orienting towards help and you know help uh, to get to the next step based off the visibility of where you understand they are today that had a different response. What was the response? It sounds like it was more positive. Yes. Um, I mean, the first thing that we learned from the Twitter thing is like, hey, we want to start measuring the interaction success. So we put that sort of score every time there was an interaction with them. The success team drove, drove a lot of that. And then the other thing that we were trying to monitor really closely was those conversion rates, those response rate on the on the chat, those response rate on the emails, those open and click to rates on the emails, the response rate on the sales outreach cadences. We started monitoring like week over week. How do we get into and, and we got into really good numbers? Some of our onboarding number, I haven't seen anything like that. We, we were in the 50-60% open rate of emails. Some of the sales cadences had like 70% open rate, pretty strong numbers because we went from call outreaching where people like blow up on Twitter into, well, let's be valuable. And we, we got it at the end. I mean, again, two potentially those numbers came after 18 months to year working on this nonstop. So it wasn't like day one. But that's a pretty impressive statistic. If you're getting 70% open rates on sales cadences, it suggests that you're doing something right. <laughs> a lot of times people try to avoid sales, uh, sales conversations like the plague. But if you're uh, really creating something that is you know, compelling and actually seems helpful to them, such that 70% of, of folks might want to open it, it suggests you're on the right track. Exactly. And it was all personalized. We knew that what type of game they were building. We put examples with, you know, the subject line would have like an example of the, exactly the type of game that they were building. All, all that sort of stuff was like gold. It, it literally worked. And at the same time, the revenue was going up. So I think in the first two years, we did over 30 million in revenue. So... ARR. So that was, it was a good journey. It was, it was painful, but really, 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 we learned a lot from it. Well, it sounds like to me, um, a lot of what we were talking about, obviously, throughout this conversation has been around visibility and needing to get visibility. And that's an important point. It's also hard to do all this telemetry and, and the visibility um, is easier said than done 18 to 24 months before you're starting to see some of these results based on what you mentioned. But the sort of the other side of the coin of once you have visibility, what that enables is you to then be personalized. Personalized in your outreach, personalized in sort of why you're reaching out, what folks could do next, and how they could get more value. And you're speaking to them not as a generic sales call. You're speaking to them, I know you're working on this game. You know, Here are the steps that you could take next. And it really does feel like you are their success coach. And you're sort of almost on their team and on their side, as opposed to somebody who's just trying to you know, milk them for conversion and for subscription dollars. That's exactly right. And um, fun fact, we play a lot with the titles of the humans trying to reach out and help. And 
we end up come calling the onboarding success. I think it was called onboarding success advisor. And the sales team, we also called them success advisor because we, we were reaching out with uh, success stories and ways we were helping other teams. And then we partnered the, those hybrid sales team with um, sales engineers. So we had a Slack channel for them. We have like wiki FAQs. We were trying to enable the sales to learn as much as they could about game development so that they could go back into those people and tell them, look how we do and help these people. And so it was really user-centric and success-centric, the, the whole approach. And we learned that the hard way. Yeah, a lot of times I, I see that sales in the PLG world, it obviously does take this kind of success-oriented approach as we had talked about. But in many ways, the way that I visualize it is that both sides, instead of being on opposite sides of the table, where I'm negotiating against you and I'm trying to convince you to buy my product and not my competitors, we're actually sitting on the same side of the table now. And we have a a shared goal. You want to, in this case, build a game, get it out there, make it awesome. I want to help you get to that destination. The way you get to that destination is through our product and is using it the right way. So let me help you uh, figure out what that next step looks like. It's almost a little bit more like a concierge um, and sort of helping you get to where you want to go. It is. I mean, in fact, when you look at senior sales, a kind of executive or leaders, they their titles are not anything about sales, are about consultancy, advisory. The great sales people know this by heart. It's about listening and then trying how how do I help you here? And I'll I'll bring my solutions to help you, but and I'll tell you the story. But it's about starting listening and then understanding what they're trying to achieve. And if you do that at a scale, like we did a unit with some product telemetry. So now you have some insight about it, and then you open the conversation. That's the way. There's, there's, no, there's no other way these days, I, I believe. Well, as, as many people talk about in terms of what is the best characteristics to be able to embody as a mature salesperson, everybody points to, to empathy. But empathy, you could just tell people, be empathetic, do it, please be <laughs> empathetic. And it's easier said than done. But back to sort of what we've been talking about, Empathy is, it's obviously understanding and what it's like to be in somebody else's shoes and sort of envisioning the problem from their own perspective. But you can't do that if you don't have visibility, if, if you're flying blind. And so the data gives you the visibility to understand and be able to actually have empathy and understand where they're going. And so all of these things are connected. And so the way you are a great salesperson, the way you act as that concierge is through personalization. The only way you can personalize and help is through visibility. The only way you can do that is through data and telemetry. So all these things are connected. And unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, however you look at it, there's no magic bullet. There's no easy button to do this. It requires doing the hard work. That's right. And I have two thoughts into what we said so far. One is I learned during the time of Unity, and we're doing pretty similar stuff at Algolia today, pretty similar journey. I, I learned some hard lessons that fast tracking um, some steps because we, we learned the hard way. But what the, the two final thoughts that I, I would put in to wrap up that thinking is one, enabling enablement is key. So you can have the product telemetry, but if the you call a success advisor or salesperson or at the end is the they know that it's the same. If they're not enabled to understand like what the user goes through to implement something from a technical point of view, from a journey point of view, uh, it's hard to become good at it. So one of the things that we spent a lot of time at Unity was training the success advisors and the salespeople with sales engineers, product people on what does it take? What is it? Even to the technical thing. We do that at Agolia today. We actually have a success advisor and a technical sales person that we are training 
inside out, right, on how this thing gets implemented. So that's number one. The second thing that I think is important to know is that the data takes time to put together too. I mean, it's, it's easier these days. These days we have tools out there, like uh, we are engaging our goalie with Endgame. I, I hope there was, I wish there were been tools like this back in the days where we did it all in, in-house. Today we have, you know, Endgame has been an incredible partner. We, we literally done in three months where we took us 18 months to do um, a Unity. But it takes time to get your data right on defining what that journey is from the product point of view. So those two things, uh, I think, are critical too. And people need to think about investing in those two areas. That makes a lot of sense. And you're talking about it there. Um, I wanted to, for the audience, for folks that are listening right now saying, hey, that's exactly what I want to do. I'm either lacking the visibility as I've I've been hearing you talk about, or I want to be able to do uh, empathy or success-based selling, but I, I need to have that sort of telemetry wired up. And then they might hear the description of it takes 18 to 24 months and there, you know, it's, it's a lot of manual effort and data scientists and those kinds of things. It can also then be a bit overwhelming, but you just referenced, you know, end game and that there are products that do this today. So, you know, if somebody is wanting to, to start this tomorrow, what would you recommend they, they do? And, and what are some of the resources that they can think about in order to tackle that? Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of tools out there and Tools have evolved a lot. Um, now we have Segment is a great tool for your product thing. We use Segment at Argolia and Sensu so we can push the data from the product into any, any of the marketing channels to do like product-led campaigns. Um, you have to like end game and there's plenty of others out there like Correlate or Heads Up and they do pretty similar. They aggregate your product data pretty easily. So I think the, there is more the investment on understanding your product data understanding where, where your aha moments are, your milestones in the onboarding or expansion. So spend time and understand that, define it, write it down, write it down at a data level. What does it mean at a data level? And then the architecting or building the, the tools is easier today because you have, again, those tools are, are your advantage. But I would say, it's, to me, everything starts with the product. Understand your product. What is the behavior? What is the journey of the user? What does it mean to be successful? So whole value perception, value adoption, aha moment, activation point, expansion points. Write it down, pressure test it internally, talk to sales, train yourself, get the information in front of sales, and then go and experiment. Every company is going to be different. It's not going to be a copy-paste solution. So know that you have to go through the pain journey that I went at Unity because it was pretty early days, but these days there's a lot of documentation out there. That's perfect. Well, this has been incredibly insightful to me to understand the importance of rich telemetry and analytics uh, in a PLG stack and also what it enables in terms of visibility, but then ultimately down the line, the fact that it enables empathy and it enables um, you really to have a success orientation. And it's a mutual success orientation. It helps your customer be successful and more and more successful over time using your product. And then obviously it helps you as the business uh, be successful as well in, in Unity's case to actually get at that subscription opportunity uh, that we started with at the beginning of the conversation to see tens of millions of dollars you know come out of that channel after the efforts. And it's also good to hear that uh, that folks starting today, there are more tools, more analytic systems, more solutions available off the shelf versus uh, needing to start from scratch. So thank you so much, Jesus, for walking us through your insights and your journey. Thank you, Blake. That was awesome. Thanks for checking out Build. If you enjoyed the conversation today, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so that others can find the show as well.